sometimes we ask each other, what's your favorite book in the Bible? And our answer should be, it's the book I'm currently reading. Um, but tonight I thought I'd delve into, Lord willing, a book that's a little bit unusual. It's different from any other book in the Bible. It's a book that makes you think and a book that makes you wonder. So if we could, could you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I thought if we could just read through the first chapter first, just to kind of get a taste of where Solomon is coming from. He's a touch on the depressing side. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor, in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south, and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually, and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers came, come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are come to come by those who will come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This is a burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be remembered, cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also grasping for the wind, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So, I don't know, I think Solomon better get back on his meds. Uh, not a cheery chapter. Uh, the title of this message is Cheer Up, Life is Meaningless according to Solomon. It's a weird book. It's not really a call to action like other books are in the Bible. It's not a worshipful book. Um, he doesn't mention Jehovah, the God of Israel, once during this whole book. And yet, whether Solomon knew it or not, I don't know what his purpose was in writing this book. And wh whether he knew it or not, he exhorts the reader to live a life of faith by showing the grimness and emptiness of the alternative. 
There's nothing better than living a life of faith, nothing more exciting than getting everything from God, dependence on God for literally everything in our lives, all our comfort, all our joy, all our material. And Solomon shows the emptiness of pursuing those things, the pursuit of those things apart from God. The things that Solomon says are true, but ultimately they're not. So in verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And we know this to be Solomon, who had a great start in his ministry. He started off great. Aware of his inadequacies, he became the king after his father, and he asked God for wisdom. One of the first things he does, God appears to him and says, ask me for anything you want. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. I want to be able to know what to do, and I want the wisdom to do it so that I can do a good job for you in overseeing your people. That was his heart. He asked for wisdom. You can see in 1 Kings chapter 8 that wonderful prayer that he said at the dedication of the, of the temple. You can see where his heart was at and his love for God. And in the beginning of his reign, he built the temple of, of the God of Israel. He built the temple. But at the end, Solomon was found to be building temples for the most abominable idols known to man. And you, and you wonder, how could the wisest man, beloved of God, who has ever lived, and pound for pound the most accomplished person who ever lived, stray so far from the truth that in the end he would be building idol temples? There was a, a law given by Moses governing the behavior of a king. And it seemed like, as you read Solomon's life, it seems like he went out of his way to disobey and do exactly the opposite of what God said. So he disregarded the word of God, and the result of that was disobedience, and he started to drift away. Also, he had a thousand wives. And the Bible says that these pagan women drew him away from the truth into idols. So you can see why he drifted away. He drifted away from God. He drifted away from the truth. And maybe, maybe another reason he drifted away was because basically he had, from what we can tell from reading in the Bible, he basically had a trouble-free life. He had no wars, no tragedies recorded. He was honored by all people and had unequaled prosperity, and he drifted away from the Lord. It's life's trials and hardships that cause us to cling to the truth. It's the heartbreaks in life that cause us to run to and cling to the God of all comfort. They test our faith, and it comes out of the fire pure and stronger. These Job-like experiences that, go, that everybody, to some degree, faces in their lives bring us to the place where like Job said, I heard of you, but now I see you. You know, Solomon writing this, I, I picture Solomon writing all this. I picture, you know, like a crotchety old man sitting at a table with maybe a candle burning and writing all this down. Maybe even angry when faced with the truth which he discovered from his own life experiences that everything he had put his hope in or used to find fulfillment and meaning in life was empty, was vanity. 2 Corinthians 2.15 
For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? And we are the aroma of life and death because we know and witness that there is no hope in this world outside of Christ. So Solomon knew the truth concerning heaven and earth, but instead of setting him free, it seems to have sucked the life out of him, sucked the joy out of his life. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Not just the knowledge of the truth, but the truth itself. There are many little truths in this world, but only one big one. There are many partial truths in this world, but only one absolute. You could say there are two truths, the truth of life under the sun and the truth of heaven. Solomon, all through Ecclesiastes, speaks of life under the sun. It speaks of our earthly existence. It speaks of the acquired experience during the time allotted us on earth. So what is the truth of life under the sun? Solomon would say that it is vanity of vanities. And that word vanity means emptiness, meaningless, worthless. Because all things under the sun are temporary, even the good and beneficial things. Solomon would say that life under the sun is vanity. Those who realize the truth of life under the sun die. Because the truth of life under the sun is that it is hopeless vanity because people can't live without hope. And when they discover that these things that they're putting their hope and trust in are vanity, they die and shrivel up inside because people can't live without hope. However, the truth of heaven is that there is a God who raises the dead. Van verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All is vanities. Notice that word all. You know, he comes out and says, everything is meaningless, useless, and empty. For Solomon, this became truth for him, the vanity of vanities. Not just some specific things are meaningless, but for Solomon, everything was meaningless. Everything was temporary. Everything was empty. Everything for him turned out empty. You know, but surely not everything is meaningless. People whose work benefits and improves the lives of others would rightly say, my life has not been meaningless. The opposite of vanity is a lasting, worthwhile benefit to yourself and others. So we have to ask, is an endeavor temporary or does it have eternal impact? If it's temporary and only for this life lived under the sun, then Solomon would say it's vanity even beneficial good things. People put their hope in different things. You know, what do you mean there is no hope? You know, people look to politics. You know, Trump is going to run for president again, or Biden isn't going to run, and the Democrats are going to come up with some superstar to take the Oval Office again. So the, people have hope either way, but there is no hope. Vanity of vanities. Everyone realizes this truth of life under the sun sometime in their life, some sooner than others. Some people don't realize it until they're on their deathbed. 
that everything I had put my hope in, even those things that benefited me, has dissipated, has vanished. Am I cheering everybody up yet? There are people who put everything into family. That is their hope, which is a good thing. We should put all into family. Then the kids grow up and leave, and the parents are like, okay, now what? If you're an, optimi if you're an optimistic person, you have an innate hope that things are going to get better. But baseless optimism is no guarantee that things will get better. But as believers, we actually know that things are going to get better. We have the promises of God in this world, and we know and experience the goodness of our God every single day of our lives. We know things are going to get better. People find that there's no hope, even in things that cause people to be happy and well-adjusted. Again, I think this realization comes to everyone at some time in their lives under the sun. And when people come to this realization of vanity of life under the sun, it's why people tragically commit suicide. It's why people self-medicate themselves. So Solomon would say that there's no concrete eternal hope in life under the sun. And if all one has is life under the sun, then they die because they are without a reason to live. And it's again, it's the cause of depression and anxiety and mental and emotional disorders. And the need for people to self-medicate. It's why you hear of people who seemingly have everything ending their lives. They have hope and dreams and their dreams are realized and they get to the top of the mountain, they looked around and they realize that there's really nothing there. And they medicate themselves or search for some alternative hope that also proves empty. I was watching a thing on, uh, I forget where it was, but they were talking about John Belushi. If you're as old as I am, you remember who John Belushi was. Anybody remember? Thank you. Um, he was original cast member of Saturday Night Live, the show, a show that one time was, used to be funny. Um, John Belushi was a, a member of that show. And at one time, he had the number one TV show, the number one movie at the box office, and the number one album all at the same time. And he OD'd being injected with a mixture of heroin and cocaine. And everybody said, Everybody thought, why? He had everything, literally everything. Money, fame, success. He realized all his dreams, and he basically commits suicide. Because he found himself in the vanity of vanities. Hopefully, people will find the truth of life under the sun. Hopefully, people who find the truth of life under the sun will also find the truth of heaven, that there is a God who raises the dead. People can't live without hope, but there's a God who raises the dead. Acts 2.25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. 
You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Romans 15:13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no hope, Solomon would say, in life under the sun, in anything in life under the sun, but there is hope in Christ. All is vanity. Technically, technically true, whatever is not eternal is vanity. But the reality is there is hope, meaning, and fulfillment, but only in Christ alone. Verse 3, what profit has a man from all his labor in which he has done under the sun? You have Solomon at the end of his days under the sun, and looking back at all his endeavors, everything he accomplished, and he was one of the most accomplished people ever to, ever to live. Science, philosophy, everything. Very accomplished. And he looked back and he said, it's all vanity. It's all dust. And you compare that with what Paul says at the end of his days. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul's saying, every punch that life has thrown at me, I have stood and countered with faith, faith in the good sovereignty of a loving and faithful God. I have run according to the rules. I didn't disqualify myself. I didn't give up even when it was uphill. Now at the end, I am found in Christ and with Christ, and now I step into forever. If you ever find yourself like Solomon, feeling discouraged and feel yourself slipping backwards, Look up into the sky and remind yourself of the sure fact and hope that Jesus is going to return and let your heart be lifted up. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Live your life under the sun in obedience to God and life is not vain, that your time under the sun is not vanity. Lay hold of eternal life. Verse 4, one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. One writer said, Solomon hears the trampling, tramping of the generations passing over a soil honeycombed with tombs. It's like Solomon sees life as a monotonous cycle that never changes. And within these cycles of life and death, people labor, and it is all ultimately vanity, meaningless. Verse 5, the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rose. 
The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit, and the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. It's sort of like the alarm clock goes off, time to trudge off through another meaningless day. And our lives can become a vain routine, and that, or every day can become an adventure. Every day can be an adventure. The alarm clock goes off, and we can wake up and say, this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Every day when we wake up, this is a new day, a day that the Lord has made. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what he's going to have in store? It's an adventure. It's not in vain. Are we serving ourselves, man, or God? Are we living for Christ? Are we aware and experiencing the grace he gives every day of our lives under the sun? Look forward to forever in Christ. Be filled with hope. Life is not just a monotonous cycle. I was listening to this podcast by this guy who, uh, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he was talking about why so many young people are drawn to radical activity, involved in radical, even anarchistic political activities. And he said it's because it takes them out of the monotony of everyday life. Life, it's exciting to run through the streets with a mob. It's fun to be part of a large, single-minded group demonstrating for a new order or the hope of a new world. I was reading about this guy wrote, he was at the Democratic Convention in the 1970s during the riots that took place there. And he's saying he had a group of like-minded people all camping out in the park, marching together for a common cause. It was against the war. And then it turned violent. And he said it was us against them. He said it was like the experience of war. He's looking back on it, he said it was exhilarating. And the guy who did the podcast quoted this statistic. I can't remember the numbers, but the vast majority of young people in this country today have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And he said he saw this as a failure of the church, failure to present to young people the life of faith as the supernatural adventure that it really is. I can't imagine how exhilarating every moment must have been for the disciples where they walked every day with Christ. And that abundant life wasn't just for them, it was for all believers. Verse 8, all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So he's saying, in all my studies, projects, wealth, relationships, there's something missing. These things that I thought would fulfill my life didn't. Why weren't they enough? Have you ever had a dream or an ambition and you did whatever was necessary to fill that dream? You sacrifice and do whatever is necessary to fulfill it and you make it and it's great, but in time you sit back and think, I thought it would be better than this. This isn't enough. Everything has become anticlimactic, vanity. This thing that I thought would make my life has fallen short. 
chasing after vanity. Micah 6.14, the Lord says to the people, you shall eat but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away but shall not save them. And, and what you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread the olives but not anoint yourselves with oil. And make sweet wine but not drink wine. You know why they were trying so hard why were they why were they gaining so little it was because of their idolatry their hope comfort and sense of fulfillment was in what was vanity and there is no larger vanity than idolatry trying to squeeze hope and comfort out of something other than God which is what Solomon was trying to do Jesus said he who lives by the sword dies by the sword I think we could say that he who lives by anything other than faith in Jesus Christ dies by that thing. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, he said. John 6.35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Only by being born again of the Spirit can one experience abundant eternal life. Verse 9. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. Sounds like, you know, been there, done that, boring. Acts 17.9, speaking of Paul in Greece, says they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but neither to tell, either to tell or to hear some new thing the search for something new. And Solomon would say there is nothing new under the sun, it's just repackaged every once in a while. But there is something gloriously new coming that, that his father David and the prophets spoke of. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Matthew twenty six twenty seven. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And this new covenant would create something glorious new, gloriously new, a new life form. Second Corinthians 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. New life that will never end. Our days are not spent in vanity. Every day we can say, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Every day is new for us who believe. Every day when we get out of bed in the morning, the adventure of living a life of faith begins anew. Luke 3.21 This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Though the Lord, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Solomon here is giving evidence that life under the sun is vanity and that there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. I was reading an article and it said that Paul McCartney had made some recordings with some current popular artists. And some of the comments on um, some of the comments on YouTube were, isn't it nice of them to give that old guy a break? And one of the other comments said, didn't he used to be in a van, a band? Nothing is remembered. Given time, we are all destined to be forgotten. If you want a good walk, I've said this before, if you want a good walk in the city, it's one of the best places to walk in the city that brings some comforting reality. I recommend walking through Mount Hope Cemetery. It's a great place to walk. It's more like a park than a cemetery. Um, it's very peaceful, it's extremely peaceful there. Uh, some people might say it's kind of dead, sorry. You know, I was gonna, I liked the place so much, I was gonna write a story about it, but I couldn't think of a plot. Sorry again. Yeah, it's a very popular place. They had to build a big fence around it because people were dying to get in. I'm not sorry about that one. But if you walk around in that cemetery and read the names and the dates and the inscriptions on the headstones, you come face to face with the reality of life and death. And if you're a believer, the result is a calming peace. And on some of the larger monuments, you can look at the names and you can Google the names on the monuments. And you can see that these people, a lot of these people were quite well known when they were alive, very well known. And they accomplished some amazing things. Now their names, they're just names on monuments and no one has a clue. Given time, we are all destined to be forgotten. Solomon would say, their labor under the sun was vanity, useless. It was temporary. And like all things under the sun, destined for dust. But as you also walk through uh, the Mount Hope Cemetery, <clears throat> you see older tombstones, some of them dating back to the Revolutionary War. And most of those older ones have scriptures inscribed on them speaking not of vanity, but of the eternal, speaking of the hope of resurrection. These are the ones who are not forgotten by God. Psalm 106.4, remember me, O Lord, with the favor 
you have towards your people. O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Isaiah 49:15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. The definition of a philosopher is a person who offers views or theories on profound questions in ethics, metaphysics, logic, and other related fields. A philosopher is a thinker, a contemplator of mysteries. Solomon was certainly a contemplator. And more than any other people, Christians should be the most contemplative because we're given the gift of contemplating incomprehensible mysteries, albeit through a glass darkly during our time under the sun. Psalm 25.2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. In the Old Testament, you come across the word Selah as you're reading along, especially in the Psalms. This word Selah means to stop and think. Think about what you have just read. Contemplate it. Chew on it. Think about it. Someone said that they, when they read their Bible, they'll be reading along, you know, word for word, and they stop at every punctuation mark, every comma, every period, every question mark, they stop. They put the book down and they think about what they just read. They said they get much more out of it. Think. In the Gospels, Jesus often answers people and confronts them with a question. You see that a lot. Jesus will ask people questions to get them to think. In the Gospel of John, when the multitude was there, he said to Philip, where will we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he knew what he would do. In John 18, 19, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me, heard what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? He's saying to the soldier who has just struck him, he's not, you know, Jesus could have turned around and vaporized the guy, but instead he's saying to him, think, why did you just do that? In Matthew, he says, why are you so fearful, you of little faith? In the gospel, Jesus asked 307 questions. One writer said, through Jesus' questions, he modeled the struggle, the wondering, the thinking it through, that helps us draw closer to God and better understand, not just the answer, but ourselves, 
our process, and ultimately, any questions are among Jesus' most profound gifts for a life of faith. Verse 14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. The futility of trying to answer life's questions through our brain power, whether it's philosophy or science, both are worthy pursuits, but how much better to look to the creator of life for answers. John 1.4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. We of all people should be thinkers. And everything we hear and everything we see should cause us to think. And because our minds are limited, what is crooked within our culture cannot be made straight. You look at the solutions that government and well-meaning individuals come up with to solve the problems that we face, and you wonder, do they really think that these things are gonna work? Or are they just doing these things just for the sake of doing something? Man's wisdom will never make straight what is crooked, but God. Verse 16, I communed with my heart saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So Solomon wasn't finding fulfillment in conventional ways, so let's try eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and find that that is less than empty, those pursuits. Solomon says that much knowledge is much misery. Paul said, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. There's an old saying, ignorance is bliss. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So we should not, there really isn't anything positive ever said about ignorance. But I gotta tell you, the less news I watch, the more blissful I am. I'll come home and my wife, the news junkie, will say, did you hear what Biden said today? Or did you hear what the Democrats are doing? No. Do you wanna hear? No. Why not? Because I don't care. Sick of the whole mess. It's hard to be ignorant of what's going on in our country. We have 24-hour news. My phone buzzes like five times a day with news updates that I don't want to hear about. Social media, CNN, Fox, YouTube. It's like a doctor telling you you have cancer and then calling you 10 times a day to remind you. Our society has cancer. How can we have calm and peace when we're constantly being bombarded? The adherents of the woke religion are very militant, and there are those in the church who feel we should respond the same. Solomon says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. 
there are those who would say, we have to make it straight. Take America back. I heard one pastor say, Christians have to draw a line in the sand. We have to take America back. And I pity the fool that crosses that line. Actually, he didn't say that last part. I think Mr. T said that last part. Christians can become very militant themselves. I would rather have the peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds. People on the left are yelling, people on the right are yelling. How can we have calm and peace when we're being bombarded? You have to hide. You have to hide behind Jesus. Isaiah 26:20. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. Psalm 17:8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 27:5. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You remember the storm at sea when Jesus and his disciples got in the boat and started going across the sea and the big storm came up and Jesus calmed the storm and the disciples were amazed and they said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And they sailed over to the land of the of the Gadarenes. You know, and I, I picture the boat coming ashore and they pull the boat ashore and everybody gets out of the boat and they're all standing on the shore. And all of a sudden that demoniac, that guy possessed by a legion of demons comes running down, screaming at the top of his lungs. I picture the apostles kind of slowly slipping behind Jesus. And this evil, this man filled with evil, filled with demons, runs up, falls down in front of Jesus and worships him. You know, I asked the kids in Sunday school, why did this happen? Why did this man who was so full of evil, so possessed by Satan, why did he fall down and worship Jesus? And the kids all say the same thing, because he's Jesus, which is the answer. That unspeakable evil bowed before Jesus because it had to. So yeah, I'll hide behind him. You get the picture of Solomon sitting there lamenting life in general. All is meaningless. What's the sense of getting up in the morning? You compare his words to his, father's, to his father David's words. David knew the vanity of life under the sun. He knew the pressure of living in a fallen world and of his own weakness and failure. And yet David said in Psalm 27:13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So we'll end with that encouraging note and continue in Solomon's angst next time, if they let me up here again. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord. Truly, um, life under the sun is vanity, Lord, outside of Christ. There is no hope outside of you, Lord. There is no fulfillment outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, Lord, bring us closer to you. Bring us back to you, Lord, we pray. Free us from idolatry. 
And Lord, we just pray that your will be done. And we pray that we would live that adventure of faith every day, Lord. Starting tomorrow morning when we get up, Lord, that we would say, this is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, to live for you and be used by you. So send us, Lord, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.